good evening, everyone. Make sure that I have power here. I think I do. All right. Well, I uh, could have got away with that with no one knowing, but that's all right. Well, it is definitely good to be here. My name is Cody Noseworth, one of our prayer cards. I would greatly appreciate it. On the back, you can see my face and also my wife and son. My wife's name is Lena and Emmett. And unfortunately, uh, we have another one that didn't make the cut on the prayer card because he wasn't born yet. Uh, but he, we have a four-month-old named Elliot, and I'll tell you what, he is growing. He's already in 12-month clothing, so he'll be praying for us. Uh, I'll tell you what, you know, I've been thinking I, had, I have to go start working out and everything, uh, but just lugging him around, I think I'm good, you know, a couple, couple times, get my tw- 20 reps in there with him. Uh, but God's been good, and we are excited to see what the Lord is doing uh, in our life, because when I tell you about Fernwood Christian Camp, I can't... I get away from telling you my testimony as well. And so in order for me to get to the part about Fernwood Christian Camp, you have to endure my testimony. Is that all right? The Lord does say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, right? So I'm going to go ahead and, and say so. But when I was eight years old, I started going to Fernwood Christian Camp. And the reason why I started going to camp is because I had a youth pastor that invested in my life. And I come from a broken home, and I come from a home where... You know, both parents profess to be Christians, but unfortunately, um, actions and the way uh, they lived their life didn't necessarily reflect that. And I know I'm not the only one that has gone through something like that, uh, but my mom did her best to bring me to church, and I was saved when I was uh, at the age of four, and I just grew up in church. But then when I was about, uh, about seven, eight years old, uh, I started to like sleeping in on Sunday. Now, I know churches don't have to deal with that, right? No one ever has that temptation when you and I wake up on a Sunday morning. We're up 5 a.m. doing push-ups, getting ready for church, right? (laughs) But I started to really just like to stay home and had no interest for the things of God or the things of church. And my mom, like I said, she would bring us, bring me to, to church. But there were times where, as a kid, unfortunately, I have to confess this, we're in church. But I would manipulate my mom and try to tell her, well, you know, I, you're tired. You work so hard. And she did. She worked three jobs in order for, to take care of us. And on Sunday morning, I knew she was sleepy. And I'd say, Mom, why don't you just rest today? You know, you, you deserve it. And I'd go play video games, right? That's one of those things I'm not very proud of. But I praise the Lord that there was someone at my church that realized he needs to be in church. And uh, he called me on a Saturday morning. Now, if you're like me in my household, especially in those days before caller ID, we didn't just answer the phone uh, because usually people wanted money people or wanted to pretend like they wanted money, you know, those imaginary bills and imaginary things we could call it about. Uh, but he called, called me up and I, I actually answered because typically I'd, we wouldn't answer if, if it rang once and then called again. We knew it was someone that we knew. But I just happened to answer it and he said, hey, we're having a contest in junior church, and I want you to be a part of it. He said there'll be a big pizza party, you'll get to go to a scrappers game, and uh, you just need to come to a certain amount of junior churches. And I said, I like pizza. I think I like baseball. So I, I, I went, and I'll tell you what, I don't think I stopped going uh, since, since then. And uh, it's not just because of the pizza, but the Lord was starting to do something in my heart, because like I said, I was saved at the age of four, but now I had someone that really took me under their wings and started to invest in my life. And I'll tell you what, before we get to the, the, the presentation of Fernwood, I think there's not a greater investment than that in a, the life of a young person. Because that is our next generation. 
um, I believe that the Lord can greatly use this next generation. Now, am I saying to those of us that are no longer considered the next generation that the Lord's done using us? No, but I think he has taught us some things and showed us the importance to invest in them. And we can recreate ourselves in the lives of young people. Now, when I say recreate ourselves, recreate what God is doing in our life, because I don't really want too many more of me's running around, right? I'm already starting to experience that with my son, Emmett, who has a lot of my personality, which is a good and a bad thing, but his mom could tell you more uh, about that. But I started going to church, and then it came time for summer, and he started telling me about summer camp. And the way we did camp was our church would rent out a campground, which was Fernwood Christian Camp. It was about 40 minutes from our church. And our church would rent it out and run a junior camp and also a teen camp. And at the time, I was a junior camper, so he said, why don't you come to camp? And I, I did not want to go. It just did not interest me. I'd never really been away from home that, that long, and I did not want to go. But he really encouraged me about it. And I say encouraged me. I'm pretty sure he drugged me uh, to, to camp. Uh, but I fell in love with camp because we spent a week. I was away from my, my crazy life. I was away from all the distractions, all of those video games. And, and can we just pause for just a moment when we look at the condition of our country? I think we all need a time of camp. I think we all need to go away for a week, shut our phones off, shut off our TVs, and just spend some time with God. And now I know as an adult, it's not as easy to go to camp. Now, hey, I find time for it, right? But as, a, as an adult, it's not so easy to go to camp, but we definitely need those times, or those quiet times with the Lord. And I discovered what a whole week can do in my life, but not only what it can do, but I experienced the fact that many workers uh, for the Lord, counselors and everyone that it took to make camp happen, they all invested in me. They all took time from their busy lives and took at least a week or two to help me and invest in me. And that meant the world to me that even though because of my background at times I'm not feeling loved and not feeling necessarily that I have a family, I found a family not only with my church family but also with my camp family. Those counselors, that some of them I still talk to and some of them uh, that still check up on me. And I praise the Lord for me finally going to camp. And then because I love camp, guess what? They couldn't get rid of me. In fact, I'm the director of the camp now, and I, sometimes I joke that they just couldn't get rid of me, so they just gave me the keys and said, well, if you won't leave, you just take over then uh, because, you know, we're, we're, we're sick of you. No. Uh, but I really did not stop going back. I uh, went all the way to teen camp when I was 14 years of age. I surrendered to preach. Uh, the Lord was really working on me. That week, um, Brother, Brother Robert Morrison was preaching, and that night, I, I fought it. I did not think that the Lord would really be able to use me. But the very next morning, I, because that night I couldn't sleep, very next morning during chapel, I kind of waved my white flag, you know, and, and talked to my counselor and said, the Lord is calling me to preach. And I still have that decision card to this day of the Lord calling me to preach at Fernwood. But can I tell you that there was a mistake that I made that I think a lot of us as Christians make. Sometimes when we surrender to a service, we forget about our personal relationship with the Lord. When I was 14, I thought that I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. I was the big bag of chips. You know, not that little tiny one, but the big one with more chips. I, I thought I had arrived. In fact, when I surrendered to preach, I thought, now I tell everyone else what to do. Right? I'm the spiritual one, so now I just automatically know everything about the Bible. Well, obviously, that was folly. That was pride in my own heart. And it took a couple years for me to really get serious about my call. And uh, my pastor started to realize it, which... 
my youth pastor that took me under his wing and invested in my life became my pastor. And he started to train me and other men who surrendered to preach how to preach. But I still wouldn't take it seriously. When I was 16, again at Fernwood, I decided to give my entire life over to the Lord. I said, Lord, not only can you have my call to preach, but you can have my life. Uh, you can have my schooling. At, time, at the time, I was, I was really struggling with peer pressure. I was struggling with my pride. So I asked the Lord to be able to provide my way to go to a Christian school. And I started to make more lifely decisions that would affect my daily walk than just what my call was. And listen, I'm a standing testimony that camp decisions can stick. Camp decisions can become life-changing decisions. And I'm not saying that this evening to say, everyone look at me. I'm saying is there's a great investment that can be made in the next generation, and it works. It, it really does. Does it work? Does it just because young people sometimes give up on what the Lord has either done for them or called them to do, and there are t- times where they backslide and it looks like they'll never serve the Lord, does that mean that investment was not worth it? No. Because as long as we're still breathing, God can still use us. And even though those that may walk away from their call or walk away from what the Lord's doing, uh, there's always hope for the Lord to get a hold of them. And when not only did I surrender my whole life when I was 16, but I started praying as a very specific prayer because I mentioned to you the way we did camp was we rented out the facility. And Valley Baptist Church over there in Beaver Falls owned the campground of Fernwood Christian Camp. But over the years, there was only about a a two- to three-year span that there was a different camp program going on other than ours. And that was for 20 years. We're talking about a 110-acre campground that was only used for a majority, about two weeks for the last 20 years. A, A huge property that I believe that the Lord wants to use. And I knew when I was 16 that there wasn't a camp director. They were praying for a camp director. And guess what I started doing? I was praying, Lord, would you send me here? Lord, one day, would you let me become the camp director? And I even told the pastor, because I, I knew they needed one, and obviously a 16-year-old, you probably wouldn't want to have run your, your camp at that time, right? But I was telling him, I really think the Lord wants me to be here one day. And he said, you know, we'll, we'll pray about it. And, and after that, life, life went on. Um, not only did I keep going to camp, I became a counselor. And then after I went to Bible college, I actually moved up to, to Michigan where I met my wife actually at a different summer camp uh, over in Kentucky. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Camp Victory uh, with Brother George Griffiths over there. And we, I, I spent one time because I thought and if I was going to do camp ministry with my life that I should experience some other camps, and Camp Victory was one of them. And that only week that I ever went, I met my wife. Now, it took me about a year to convince her that she loved me, uh, but we kept in contact, and I finally won her over, right, amen, and um, we, we got engaged, got married, and after Bible college, I moved up to Michigan, where I worked with her father-in-law for about five years as the assistant pastor, but during that five-year span, I was still the program director at Fernwood, because at that time, still, no, if no one really was there to do it, and I talked to my pastor, and he said, um, you know, I'm not sure what we're going to do. We might not be able to have camp, so we prayed about it, and I continued to be the, the program director there from Michigan uh, for about five years. So every summer, I'd go down there for a couple of weeks. We'd run camp, and I would go back to Michigan. Well, praise the Lord. The Lord delivered me from Michigan. Amen. <laughs> and now, in that span, I kept praying because I knew there was no director there for Fernwood. I kept praying and praying, Lord, why won't you bring me there? And there was a, about a, in the third year of me being in Michigan, I gave up. I said, clearly, the Lord doesn't want me there. In fact, I went there specifically to talk about becoming the director, and it just it seemed like it fell through. Um, they were not able to bring me down, and I just thought, you know what? The Lord has me in Michigan. 
even though I'm from Youngstown, Ohio, right? I'm a Buckeye, I guess, Lord, I'll give you 15 more years in Michigan. I don't know why I said 15. I was, you see, I was sneaky. I still capped it, right? I said, I'll give you 15 more years here in Michigan. And the Lord blessed our ministry there at our, our church. It was called Nemo Baptist Church. We were just a small country church in a rural area. We went from about five teens, about 25 to 30 in like a three-month span. I mean, we had teens everywhere coming in. And sometimes I'd say, who are you? Where do you come from? And the Lord was blessing. And I knew that the Lord said, when you surrender, I will start blessing. And there's times that you and I want something, but we're not surrendering, surrendering to where we are. We keep looking at what is ahead. And doesn't, that sounds a lot like a teenager, doesn't it? And there's times where you and I as adults, even though we don't want to admit it, we act like teenagers. And I was acting like a teenager, right, where we think, I want my license. I want to graduate. I want all of this. I kept saying, I want camp ministry. I want camp ministry. But the Lord just didn't allow it to happen. And after I surrendered of staying in Michigan for a long time, uh, and about five months later, some rough things happened. And I, I refer to it as church hurt. Now, it wasn't something that me and my family necessarily did, but we went through a pretty rough time and learned real quick that, um, not everyone in church is as spiritual as we should be, and that includes me as well. And um, there, there was something that happened where the Lord made it evident that it's time to go. And uh, I uh, ended up resigning and saying, you know, the Lord is, is leading us somewhere else. And what we, our decision was to go into youth evangelism because my heart, my burden, is that we, as local churches, need to reach young people. And so I said, well, I don't know what, next, what the next thing is, but I'm going to go out into youth evangelism and help churches reach their young people. And I called my, my former pastor, and I, I called him up and told him what was happening and, and how the Lord closed the door at the ministry we were at and just told him how I didn't really know what was happening, but here's what we're going to do. And he said, you know, I, I've been on the phone the last couple weeks with Valley Baptist Church, and they want to give the camp ministry over to our ministry. They just want to give that 110-acre uh, land with all of the different buildings. Every, they just want to give it to our ministry because they want to see it go forward, and they're not able to do that. But he said, I do not want to take that camp ministry over unless I have a camp director. Would you want to pray about becoming the camp director? You know what I said? Let me think about that. No, I said, hey, I, I know that that's what the Lord's calling because it was right then that I could see, even though we just went through a, 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 a dark time in our, our Christian life, God was moving. God was leading. And, you know, we often use the expression of sometimes God closes doors. You know, we have to go towards the open door. Well, sometimes God slams doors. I'll tell you what, they didn't tell me that in Bible college. <laughs> they, they didn't tell me that growing up. But sometimes doors do slam, and that door was slammed. And in God's timing, he brought me to Fernwood. And uh, it's really been a whirlwind of getting to that ministry because, um, that, when that decision was made, that was about a year and a half ago, and then it was really a huge transition because the pastor lived on property as their, their um, a parsonage, so they had, they had to find a new place to move, and then me and my wife, we had to move, but we were also expecting our second born, and so it was a very busy time. We finally moved to Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, November, and then November's a pretty busy time of year, isn't it? So we got through the holidays, and here we are now in March, and uh, we're, we're trying to catch our breaths here. Uh, but the Lord's been good. He's guided us and directed us, and we've spent the last two months in churches uh, across this area and over in, in Western PA telling people about our camp because this is the first time anyone's really traveled and let people know that we are there. And our goal is to have that campground as a safe haven for churches to bring their young people that they may grow spiritually, 
that they may be uh, led and brought to the, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, and that this may be a place that any church can come to and use, but also be a part of our program to see their young people grow. One of our phrases on our banner there is saying, reaching, teaching, training, and enabling. And I like the word enable because we want to help, we want to enable young people to serve the Lord. We want to enable them to be able to live their life for the Lord. And a lot of times that just starts with people like you and me realizing to invest in that young person. Because, you know, when you and I talk to a seven, eight, nine-year-old, we do not know who we are really talking to. Because at that moment, yes, listen, if you talk to anyone at my church, they looked at me when I was eight, they even told me this. They said, we used to look at you and say, is there any hope for that that guy? Because they say I'd be in junior churches kind of staring at the wall, kind of drooling. And they'd say, am I wasting my time? Right? Anyone ever feel that way? Right? Where you're like, am I wasting my time with this person? You never know who you're talking to. You never know if you're talking to a pastor, a missionary, a, a firefighter, a bit, whatever it is. Hey, you know, the next CEO of something, you don't know who that young person will be. And so I think we should invest in whoever it is, whoever God gives us. But also, not only whoever God gives us, but we should look, be looking for those uh, to invest in. So Fernwood, Fernwood Christian Camp, right now we have a junior camp, a team camp, and new, first time ever we're doing a leadership camp because I believe in training the next generation of young people to serve the Lord. And that would be any young ladies, any young men, who um, feel called to ministry, bus ministry, just outreach, or just say, I just want to serve the Lord. But also young men who feel called to preach, there'll be different workshops for them. And we also do a preacher training, which someone who is called to preach, whether they're 12 years old all the way up into their 30s, if they feel called to preach, we provide workshops with uh, many experienced pastors and evangelists to where they can learn for the next step. And a lot of that program is called the Start Now program uh, for Fernwood because I believe when you are saved you should start serving the Lord now. And I've never heard a, an older person say to me, I wish I started serving the Lord later in life. Anyone ever hear that? It's always reversed. I wish I started serving the Lord sooner. And I realized, even when I was 14 years old, that because I surrendered to preach, I, I thought, what now? I, I, do I go pastor a church, right? Do I, I mean, what, what, what do I do? And I realized that I could start serving the Lord right now by reading my Bible faithfully, by praying, by calling my pastor and saying, what do I need to do? By just doing anything I can do in my local church, doing anything I can to reach my neighbors and my friends with the gospel. And so that's the Start Now program of Fernwood. But we also have something called Lifeline, which Lifeline is where we don't have camp all summer long yet, but throughout the year I try to find churches that are trying to start up a youth group, and we help them in any way we can. And right now we're actually uh, filling in as a, a, a youth interim at a church uh, on Wednesday nights. Actually, next Wednesday night we're starting a youth group with the church. And we're going to build that thing until they're able to bring a guy to take that on. And we've done that before in the past. But also if a church just wants to have a youth rally or a youth event, but they don't have enough manpower or enough motivation, uh, we offer ourselves to come in and, and do that. So our goal with Fernwood is to be an operating facility all year round. But right now, we are just, we're kind of limited with our facility. But I'm praying, especially now that the Lord has given us the ministry and answered our prayer, I know the Lord can use that place to be a camp operating every week of the summer and even weeks in the winter, weeks in the spring, and also traveling around to help local churches just like this one. So if you would, please pray for Fernwood Christian Camp. But like I said, we're just starting. Uh, we have some of our material on the back, but we're still working on a, 
an actual promotional video, we're working on other material, and we're working on our facility. In fact, this Saturday we're having a work day, and we're going to be cleaning up a lot of the area because not so many people have used it over the years. There's a kind of a low dump zone that people kind of, the neighbors kind of found. So we're getting that out of there, and we're kind of planting our open for business sign uh, so people know not to do that anymore. Well, that's Fernwood Christian Camp. If you have any questions, we do have a website, fernwoodchristiancamp.com. We have some information on the back. We have our camp poster and also a registration form and T-shirts if you want to buy one. Um, but let's go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. I praise the Lord for his leading. Amen. Uh, and there, there are times where you might think that the Lord's not leading you, but there's times that you and I aren't paying attention. Right? It's kind of like when you get to a, a, a traffic light and you're stopped at a green light. Why? Because you didn't see that turn green, right? And usually people behind you start honking. That's never really a good position to be in. But there's a lot of times God is giving us the green light, but there's times we're not paying attention, or he's giving us the, the red light and we want the green light. It's all about just walking with the Lord. And I, I think there's times we forget that it's a relationship and not just we get saved and God's going to grant all the wishes of our life, right? Um, but we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. Acts chapter number 6. I may have said 7, but we will get into chapter 7. We're going to start in chapter number 6. The title of the message tonight is, Let's Raise Up Some Stevens. Let's Raise Up Some Stevens. In Acts chapter number 6, we're going to be starting in verse number 1. It says there in verse number 1, And in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplied, there rose up a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostle. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, before we go any further, let's go ahead and pray and see what the Lord has for us tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for your leading. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to this world, who lived a perfect and sinless life and gave himself on the cross and rose again that we may have eternal life with you. And Lord, I pray that all of the words tonight will be of thee and not of me. And in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we see here in, in chapter number 6... The, the time where the early church had to choose what we would call or refer to as deacons. Now, this passage has always really intrigued me because when I read this, this passage, we see the disciples, they're starting to realize that there's a lot of work in ministry. There's a lot of things to do. And their main priority was to attend to the word of God and also to prayer. Because they say there in verse number 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, we see this in the early day that the Lord was showing them 
on how a church should be. And Paul writes about this later on in the epistles of talking about what church leadership should look like and the ordination of the church. You have two offices, right? You have the, the pastors or elders, and then you also have the deacons. And in Timothy, we see some very point-blank layout of what a pastor should look like and what deacons should look like. And when it comes to pastors and elders, uh, there's a pretty high standard for that man behind the pulpit, right? There's a pretty high standard for that man filling that that ministry. But also for deacons, there's a pretty high standard as well, right? You might say that the the qualifications for a pastor are are more, I wouldn't say more important, but there's a couple more things in there where it's taken a little bit more seriously, but there's also some serious things that deacons should qualify for, right? And, And the Bible teaches that. But when we look at our local churches in the the modern day, I think there's times where mistakenly at times, and not necessarily out of uh, intentionally, that we put the pastor role above almost everything else in church. I'm not saying the church here has done that, but I'm saying I have seen that, and I've seen it not just in our denomination, but in denominations all over the country, where it's the pastor's ministry, it's the pastor's job, it's the pastor's responsibility, where that's not really what the Bible teaches about church. The pastor is not the only one that can serve the Lord. But can I tell you, when I was young and starting to figure this out, I, I thought that that is how church worked, right? The pastor goes out door knocking, the pastor prays, the pastor reads his Bible. You know, I read my Bible here and there when I think about it, but I go to my pastor when I want to find out, you know, what, what the Bible says. Now, you know, that was, again, going back to my, my 14-year-old um, mis- misleading, right, in my own mind. But every time I read this, I would see how the disciples are saying, we need to spend time in, in the Word and in prayer, and we need to find men that will be able to help us with other areas, more specifically t- uh, attending unto the widows of the church and ministering unto them. And they, they find these men in verse 5 that says that they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. So they find some men that are already serving the Lord. Uh, some men that already have a testimony of, we see here, being full of the Holy Ghost, of seeing God work in his life. But when I, I look at this, in my mind, as a human, and sometimes in my, in my flesh, I say, well, the disciples are more important than any deacon they may choose. Because they're disciples, right? They walked with the Lord. They ministered with the Lord. Obviously, anyone else they choose would never live up to what the disciples accomplished. But then we see Stephen, at verse number 8, it says, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Two things about Stephen. He was full of faith and what else? Power. Now, Stephen's not a disciple. And now, uh, for some reason growing up, I thought that he replaced one of the disciples. I don't know who taught me that. I could blame my Sunday school teacher, I guess, if I want. They're not here tonight, right? Uh, But it's probably just me not paying attention. Have you ever not paid attention about detail and started to believe something that wasn't true? Mostly because you didn't pay attention. That was me. All right, growing up in Sunday school. That's why people said, is he getting anything? Right? He says Stephen is one of the disciples. Right? We have to work with him. But Stephen, who was not a disciple, he was chose to be a deacon. Stephen became like a firecracker. Right? He went out there, and he's just serving the Lord. He's doing miracles. He's doing wonders. And he was just a deacon that was supposed to help out with the widows. But we're seeing great miracles in his life. We're seeing God use him. Not because the 12 disciples said, you're chosen to be used of God. No, it's because he was full of faith and power. And we know through the scripture that without faith, it is impossible to please God, isn't it? 
And when I look at what our churches need across America, I don't think we necessarily just need more preachers, which we definitely do. I don't think we need more uh, pastors, which we definitely do. I think we need more people in our churches, in our pews, within the church building, full of faith and power. Full of faith and power. And you don't have to be a pastor to be full of faith and power. You don't need to be a deacon to be full of faith and power. You just need to be a believer in Christ. You just need to be saved. As once you are saved, you and I receive something that the Old Testament saints did not have. And what was that? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because when we look at some of the the people in the the Old Testament, we see when the Holy Spirit came upon them, the Lord did some great wonders and miracles, didn't he? Well, one of the greatest examples of that is when the Holy Spirit came upon Samson, and Samson would kill 500 men at once, and he would do all of these great wonders, and he had all of this strength that people said, wherein doth his great strength lieth? They didn't know the source of his strength. But when the Spirit left him, remember when he told Delilah that secret, and they shaved his head, and when he rose up, the Bible says that he wist not that the Spirit had left or was not upon him anymore. What did Samson say? He said, I will rise up as at other times before. He said, I, I got this in my own power, in my own strength. He found out real quickly that without the Holy Spirit upon him, he was powerless. Because it's the Holy Spirit that gives us power. And where does that Holy Spirit come from? It comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. When he died on that cross and was buried and rose again, he rose again and then said, listen, I'm going to leave you for a time. I will return. But in the meantime, I'm going to send you someone. I'm going to send you someone that will be an even greater testimony of what God is doing in your life than me being with you. In fact, you will be able to serve the Lord in a greater capacity with this person that I'm sending than me just standing around here with you doing miracles. And that was sending the Comforter, sending the Holy Spirit of God who can act as our comforter, who can act as our guide, who can enlighten the scriptures to us. Aren't you glad that if you are born again, you're saved? When you read God's word, that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you to enlighten what he's trying to tell you? Have you ever read, read God's word and say, oh, I didn't know that was in there? Or read and say, whoa, God just brought up something specific in my life. And I, I had no idea that was in this passage. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. That's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, there, here's something you have to fix. But what does the Bible say the, about the Holy Spirit? The, the Bible commands us to what? Quench not the Spirit. And so because the Bible says quench not the Spirit, you and I know that the Spirit can be quenched. And can I tell you, when you are low on your faith, when you are low on maybe having the power to get through your, your every for getting through every storm that comes your way. Because let's be honest, there's times where our world is turned upside down, isn't it? There are times where we go through something that we never thought we would go through. We face a trial and a problem that we have no answer to. Can I tell you, that's the time where we really need to lean on Him. And that's the time where we really have to be in touch with the Holy Spirit. Because, listen, if you've been quenching the Holy Spirit, you've been ignoring Him, and what's a good way to quench the Holy Spirit? By not reading God's Word. And when you think about the word quench, it means to fully extinguish. So if we were going to quench a fire, not only would you kind of uh, move the coals around, but you'd probably douse some water on it, but then put some more dirt on top of it. 
so that that spark would not come about anymore, that that spark wouldn't be able to catch any wind or catch any hope of becoming a flame again. And can I tell you, the Bible tells us not to do it because it can be done. Because you and I can live in such a way, even though we're believers in Christ, we can live in such a way of allowing our flesh to take over, uh, allowing our own uh, earthly desires to be more important than God's Word and God's leading, and we can quench the Holy Spirit and not listen to His following. But we go back to realizing that the Holy Spirit is how God enacts His perfect will here in life. Jesus is not here to serve the Lord for you and I. Jesus is not here to perform those miracles. I praise the Lord that Jesus is on the right hand of the Father, and He's constantly reminding the Lord of what He's done for me because He's my advocate. And I praise the Lord for that. But the Holy Spirit is what I refer to as our, our caulk. Now, I work at Menards. Anyone ever go to Menards? I know there's one close to here. Uh, the, the Lord gave me that job when I first moved to Michigan. And when I moved to the, to the job over at Fernwood, uh, the closest Menards is in uh, Warren, Ohio to me. So I, I've been working there. And uh, so I, I deal with a lot of hardware stuff, right? I've sold a lot of uh, caulk over the years. But the Bible says about the Holy Spirit that we are sealed until the day of redemption. Meaning that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, or God sends the Holy Spirit to indwell us and live inside of us and becomes what we just mentioned. That guide, that leader, that comforter, and enlightener. He becomes that in our life. But what happens is he comes in, he kind of, that Holy Spirit caulk, he caulks us up to where we're not going to one day wake up and the Holy Spirit left us. We're not going to wake up one day and not be saved, but we can wake up one day, even though we're sealed until the day of redemption, we can wake up powerless. In fact, my greatest nightmare is what Samson went through when he woke up and the Spirit had left him and he didn't even know. And I'm convinced that we have Christians all throughout our country that don't even know God's not working in their life because you and I are so focused on other things. Do you realize that you and I can become so unaware of our spiritual walk with the Lord that we don't even know that maybe sometimes God's trying to lead us, but we can't even recognize it. But we see Stephen here. He's full of faith. And full of faith, first of all, that because of faith, you and I can have power. In fact, Jesus talks about if we have faith just the size of the mustard seed, we can move mountains. And in, in another gospel, talks about how we can uproot a cedar tree. Faith can perform great miracles in our lives. Now, are you and I going to go outside and move a mountain? Well, can I tell you I'm still working on my faith even getting to becoming that mustard seed? Have you ever seen a mustard seed? Real small thing where you might think like, wow, if I just have faith that small, God can use me. And yes, yes, he can. But when we see Stephen, he says he's full of faith but also of power. And I'm so glad that the Bible says to to them gave he power that believed on the, on the Lord. Or to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And because of what God, Christ has done for us, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, to where we have been adopted into the family of God. And to where, listen, there are times where you might look at your family and say, wow, I did not choose them. Have you ever thought that? Or look at your child and say, wow, I did not choose them, right? And listen, we, we, we're having a, grow, a growing family, two-and-a-half-year-old and a, a four-month-old. I did not choose them specifically. I praise the Lord for them. 
They are amazing. But I did not go to the baby store and say, I want this one, and right, did my little Build-A-Bear form. That's not how it works. The Lord gave us our children. But when it comes to God, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you become part of that family where he's adopted you. He chose you and I when he sent his son Jesus Christ to where now we have the power to become the sons of God. And with the power of becoming the sons of God, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And now God can enact his perfect will in our lives through his power. And there are times where you and I may show lack of power in our lives, and that's typically because we are low on faith. Now, what does the Bible say about faith? Where faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the, or the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And there's times, because we're not seeing God do something specifically, or we don't see God answering a prayer where we want to, our faith starts to dwindle. Can I tell you that your faith should not depend on what God does for you? Your faith should always depend on what He has done for you. And we can know what God has done for us by studying the Scripture and by having that daily devotion with the Lord, but we will not be full of faith and power if we neglect God's Word. Every day you and I need to be in God's Word because there are other people trying to fill your mind and fill our lives with entertainment and with other doctrines and with other teachings and what's happening right now uh, in the amongst of our youth or amongst our youth. There's teachings about different things about our country, right? Different things about our country and different things about race and all of these different things of, of being politically correct, but also of being quote-unquote woke. And all of these things are being taught. But when you and I are doing our best to be Holy Spirit-led, we can, we can go through, travel through the waters correctly to understand what is truly right and truly wrong. And can I tell you tonight that our world that we're living in is trying to change what is right and trying to put a right tag on what's wrong and put a wrong tag on what is right. And how can you and I decipher what is wrong and what is right? Right, Because the, the, word, the word of the Lord is sharp and powerful, uh, sharper than any two-edged sword. And you and I can determine what is right and what is wrong through God's word. But we see Stephen, because he's full of this faith and power, that people weren't very happy with him. In fact, in verse number 10 of chapter number 6, it says, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Meaning that Stephen was speaking in such a convicted manner, in a way where he believed it. And is there, has, has there ever been a time where someone tried to sell you something, but they weren't completely sold on it? Typically, you don't buy from that person, Right. You're like, well, buy this shop back. It might help you out. <laughs> That's not how you're going to do it, right? Or especially when you go uh, fast food, I think has become even more popular in, in the, the, the virus age, right? Where you, you want to just get your food, get away. You don't really want to be around people. Well, how, how would you feel if they say, hey, welcome to Wendy's. Our food is okay sometimes. Right? You, you really wouldn't want that. But Stephen is t- talking in such a way of wisdom, in such a way of power, where they can't even resist the wisdom and spirit of which he spake. They couldn't resist the spirit working inside of Stephen because it's the spirit that accomplishes the work. It's not because you and me. It's not because of our perfect smile like I have. Right? Uh, obviously, that's a joke. Right? It's not because of the way I look. It's not because of the way I sound. Anything that I ever do for the Lord is because of what the spirit is working inside of me. And you and I do not want to live any part of our Christian life without the Holy Spirit's leading. Because when we get halfway through a normal day, we start to realize, 
I should have started my, my day off in God's word, or I should have asked for help in this area, because we notice when the Holy Spirit's not working in our life. And if you don't notice, then you're probably in denial. But Stephen here, he's talking in such a way where he speaks in, in this wisdom and in this, this confidence that they take him to trial and they start questioning him. And what does Stephen do? Stephen starts there in, in verse number 13, or verse number 15 rather. He starts to talk about, going into chapter number 7, uh, talking about how God has provided himself a lamb all the way from Abraham and to, to current day, giving example by example how Christ can be seen in all of these different areas of what they even believe in the Scripture. And he's showing them through Scripture Jesus Christ. They didn't like that very much. Because to them, he was preaching heresy and he was preaching a false doctrine but even if you look at verse number 11 there in chapter number six says and they suborn men which said we have heard him speak blasphemous words against moses and against god there are sometimes you and i may question why people hate us or why things don't necessarily go our way when we're supposed to be christians right you say well i I believe in god why is he letting this happen to me what does jesus say when he says marvel not if the world hates you You and I are in a world where, listen, they're not always going to love us. And, you know, that breaks my heart to know that one day someone's going to be mean to my son. (laughs) You might say, like, well, you are definitely an inexperienced parent, right? But uh, my son, who's so joyful and who's so happy all the time. Uh, We were outside the other day getting mail, and the neighbors, they were kind of yelling at each other. And he said, they're talking to me? And I said, no, son, they're not. Run away. (laughs) Uh, uh, I didn't say the run away part, but... uh, uh, just to be heartbroken that one day someone is going to hate him. Someone is going to be unkind to him. But listen, you and I, as a child of God, the world will hate us the more we proclaim truth. And that's why people in our society today, they don't want to be canceled. So guess what? They don't say the truth. And I tell you, uh, the world cannot cancel our Lord. The world cannot cancel God. And if you look at in a bit, in, in what happens in the Bible, and I know this isn't a biblical term, but God will do some canceling himself one day and those that canceled those that stood for god they're going to uh, they're going to realize who the real cancel culture leader is right because the bible says every knee should bow every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord and that's why stephen has this power because of the holy ghost re- uh, preaching through him the truth and they didn't like that so we know, if you know the little bit of the story or the account rather of Stephen, you know a little bit of what happens. Now, we see here verse upon verse in chapter number 7 of Stephen giving the testimony and message of what God is doing and how God is trying to direct all of them to Christ. But if you look there now in chapter 7, in verse number uh, 55, verse 55 saying, or we'll back up to 54, it says, And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the what? Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Now, Stephen said all these things, and they hated what he said so much that the Bible says that they gnashed upon him with their teeth. Now, when I was a teenager, I, I, rather, I would rather believe that they all started gnawing on him with their teeth because that just sounds more cool. Right? It's a little bit more entertaining if you picture that because, listen, I, I would probably... Um, now, I hate to say this, but I'd probably be more um, apt to read my Bible more, which we should always read our Bible more. But can you imagine if our Bible was a picture book? 
That would be pretty exciting, right? Just like kind of one of those pop-up. Like, I would love preaching that way, right? <laughs> Look at that, right? A revelation. I mean, it would just be exciting. But we see where it says he gnashed upon her teeth, or gnashed on him with her teeth. They didn't actually bite him, even though that's what I wanted. But what they were really doing was talking to him with such bitter words, with such hateful words, because they hated what he was saying. People hate truth. Flesh hates truth. Right? When we step on that scale and we see the truth, we want to throw that scale out the window. Right? Why? Because it's telling us the truth. Typically, mine's broken. It's never right. But typically, our scale tells the truth, right? And so what does Stephen do when they are hating him? He's looking up to Jesus. He's looking at him and he's praising the Lord. And they even start to cover his, their ears. Verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And witness, and witness laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So even Stephen, as he was being stoned to death, as these people are proclaiming their hatred for him by killing him, Stephen is praying to the Lord. And what does he say? Lord, lay not this charge upon them. And when he had said this, he, he fell asleep. Or rather, he said, lay not this sin to their charge. Now, let's look at the testimony of Stephen. He was one that wasn't the, uh, a disciple. He wasn't a pastor or an elder, but he was chosen to be a deacon. And can I tell you, in our churches, our local churches, and I, we can all serve the Lord in the capacity that Stephen did. Because Stephen, he was full of faith and power. Where did he get that from? From the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you are saved today, you can too be full of faith and power. And what we need in our churches today, in our communities, we need to raise up some Stephens who are full of faith and power that aren't defeated by a bill we get in the mail or aren't defeated by some gossip we hear, but we are more empowered to depend on the Holy Spirit more because we are full of faith, trusting Him in Him no matter what, and power serving Him through His strength and not our own. And because of Stephen's faith and power, he said a prayer. And can I speak about the truth that when you and I are full of faith and power, our prayer can go a little further? What does the Bible say? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. When you and I, we start to follow the Lord and we give everything to Him and we're doing our, our best to grow in Him, He hears our prayers, but He also, well, He hears all of our prayers, right? But He is more apt to accomplish what we are praying because we are actually taking advantage of what He's given us. Because listen, if you and I aren't full of faith and power and we expect God to answer all of our prayers the way we want, what is going to encourage us to get in that faith and power? Right? We can see when we are truly serving the Lord we ought to be, God proves His word to be true and He proves Himself to be faithful. Now, Stephen's prayer, when he's die, he dies, he says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Now, verse number 8, or chapter 8, verse 1, and we'll be done. It says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at the time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except apostles. Why should you and I raise, raise up Stephens in our church? Because raising Stephens produce Pauls. 
Because if, if you look in Acts 22, verse 20, it says, And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting unto his death, and kept the raiment of them that slew him. Paul testifies and says, I was even a part of the death of Stephen back in my day before I had Christ. But I one day saw this man Stephen full of faith and power. Even as we were killing him, he prayed for me. He said, Lord, don't hold this against me. He said, Lord, don't lay that sin upon me. Stephen prayed for Paul that day. And listen, if we're going to see a generation of, of our churches moving forward, keeping our doors open and still reaching people, we need our churches filled not just with pastors, but with Stevens in every pew. Not saying that we all need to, to attend to the, the widows, right, as Stephen did, but we all need to be full of faith and power because we're able to be. And you and I, if we can raise up some Stevens in our church, we'll definitely see some Pauls out of it. Because when a, a faithful uh, person in church invests in the life of young people, we see what that can do. And we can see people serving the Lord because God is faithful and true. And he's, he is able to give you faith and power. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for what you've done in my life. And Lord, I thank you for the camp. Lord, I pray that you would help this church and churches across America raise up some Stevens. In Jesus' name, amen.